If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, slip your hands up. The ushers have one. We will work through a lot of two verses today. So we're, we're really pushing through this Hebrews chapter 11. We began this series, and I, I kind of challenge you, encourage you guys to remember that this isn't necessarily a perfect definition of what faith is in Hebrews 11. It's an aspect of faith. And that it wasn't our, our job or our goal to be exactly like the people of faith, but these are people that show what faith looks like living out and how we can play apply this. And so two weeks ago, last week, we didn't have service. We had serve your neighbor, and I want to Real quickly, thank all of you that went out and, and just shared meals with your neighbors or have done it this during the week or last week. It was awesome to hear some of the stories, and thank you for doing that. Some of you went out and actually served your neighbors, like physically did things for your neighbors, and so thank you for that as well. We do that hopefully to um, not just say, hey, we need a Sunday off, but also so that you guys can be out with your neighbors doing what God commands of us to be salt and light. So thank you for that, and I pray, and my hope is that you didn't just do that that one time, be like, sweet, check that box this year, don't have to do it again, but that you would actually be present with your neighbors and continue to be salt and light in this dark, dark world for our God, our God's glory alone. So two weeks ago, we were in Hebrews 11, and we began with Abraham. And Abraham's, you know, the most talked about Old Testament figure in the New Testament. Abraham's our father of faith. And we talked about how two weeks ago, how Abraham just leaving what was known for the unknown was, it was an act of faith. Why he, he walked out into the unknown because God said, hey, go. I'm not even going to tell you where I'm sending you, but go. And he walked, and so we talked about his faithfulness here. And then we continue again in this, in this discussion of Abraham, and it's in chapter 11 is where we are, chapter 11, verse 11. So let me read it, and we'll, we'll dig in here. It says, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, there's a an awesome old guy joke there, but I'm not going to do it, okay? So we'll just take a clear of it. We're born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And so the scholars in this section, there's, there's, there's a number of things that we kind of want to dive into. A couple little things that kind of get to give us some parameters here. This, scholars are in, in disagreement to who the subject is, is of this text right here. It, it makes sense to really be Abraham in the, old, in the original Greek, and, the, and it makes sense for it to kind of go, this is actually about faith of Abraham because it's using the masculine term and it's not as much with Sarah but God did stuff in both but either way I don't really think that matters and so I mean I think it's cool that smart people like to dig into that stuff but I don't think that really is the point of this text really I think and in, in what we can learn of this is that and one small little aspect is that I want to just kind of talk to you married folk for a second one of the biggest misconceptions that we always make as married people is that we believe we are two separate people doing two separate things for God when he combines us together as one flesh, we become one flesh. And yes, you are, you are two individuals created by God for his glory, and he, but he, he puts you together as one. And I think a lot of times we assume, well, God is, is, is leading my husband or my wife to do this, and, and so I'll just kind of do this. And we, we separate ourselves from that, and we don't work together in that. And I think a lot of chaos happens in that. In fact, in Sarah's story, I think a lot of times if you look at what she did in her life, I think some of the mistakes, some of the choices she made was because she believed that the call was from Abraham and that she was just kind of a part of it as a tag along and comes with it as opposed to recognizing it was her. If you look at even when she, you know, when she's their promised descendants, it's 25 years from the time that God says go and promises descendants before Isaac's born. 25 years. I mean, just, let's just pause on that for one moment. How many of you have actually like prayed earnestly for something for 25 years? 25 days? 25 minutes? I mean, like, let's be honest, right? 
This is a really difficult thing. But, but Sarah, I think, in that where she, she says, okay, after God's promises of descendants, about anywhere between five and ten years, depending upon which way you look at it, she realizes that there are no descendants coming, and she's barren. By the way, she wasn't barren at 91. She was barren from the beginning, okay? So she hasn't had given him any children along the way. So it wasn't like they just got busy with their, you know, searching their college and getting their careers going, and then like, oops, we passed the window. Like, I was too old. Like, that didn't happen here. It was that they were enabled to have children all the way through. And so Sarah, in, in that moment where she, she says, okay, well, God's promised descendants, I'm barren. And so she takes kind of matters into his own hands and gives her maidservant, which was acceptable and a normal thing to do in this time, to Abraham to give him a child, and Ishmael's born. And then we hear God saying, this is, look, Ishmael, I will bless Ishmael, but that is not the promise. The promise is coming through another child, and that will be yours. I think Abraham, this is conjecture, I think Sarah did that because she believed that the, the command or the, the call or the leading was on Abraham's life, and she was just a part of it. And so she was faithfully trying to help it, but not necessarily recognizing that the, the promise was for them as one. But as married couples, I think a lot of times we misconstrue the fact that we are one, and that what God is doing in one of you, he's doing in both of you. And that there isn't this separation of entities, and there isn't this way to walk in separate ways. He's, he's, he's working together. And so that's one thing from this. But the other thing that I think is most important that we can take from this is that God does the impossible. And now this is a, this is a tricky one because there's so much, there's so much issue with the way that, that we talk sometimes about God. But, but God does impossible things in our life. It look, look, me being a follower of Jesus, me submitted to God, being a child of God is an impossible thing. Is incredible. It's an amazing thing. And I think if we just recognize the miracle in it of self that we are no longer in separation from God, but are children of God, then he's already done something incredibly impossible in us. But I think a lot of us believe that that's all he can do. And I think a lot of us get in an issue, and this is where I think this text is showing us, that Abraham and, and, and Sarah, they rested on God's promises through the entirety of their life. Now, they made a lot of mistakes, and we'll talk about that in a second. But like we talked about two weeks ago, Abraham gets this call from the Lord at age 75. He dies around age 175. He never, he saw three descendants at that point. Three. That's a little fewer than the grains of sand on the beach. So did God not keep his promise? No, because we stand here today as the promise. But we misconstrue the idea that when God promises us something, that we'll be the ones that actually get to experience that very promise and see it to its fruition. And we may, but that isn't always the case. God's timing is, is perfect. But what I want to talk to us about today is, is do you believe that God can and does and will do impossible things in your life? Do you, do you have the faith to step out that? Not, not, just, not just the way that most of us would, but, but the way where we would laugh at God like Sarah did. Which, by the way, Abraham laughs too, so don't, don't give Sarah a bad rap. They both laugh at God for that statement. Like, you're going to give us kids at this age? Really? Like, come on. They both laugh at God at first. This, is, this doesn't make sense. And I think a lot of times what God does in the impossible is he's, he's removing everything that makes sense so that you can say that, oh, it was him that did it and not yourself. But do you believe that God can do the impossible things? Do you believe that he can restore your marriage? Do you believe that he can heal? Do you believe that he can bring your wayward child back to know him? Do you have faith that your, your family member that drives you nuts and is so dark and so lost can actually come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Do, do you believe that? Do you pray in faith in that? My, my assumption is most of us, the answer is maybe sometimes, but not always. And here's why. We wrestle, which I think, again, the same way that Abraham and Sarah did. Look, Abraham is our, is our father of faith, right? We all have the song, right? We all know it. Come on now. No, don't do it. Okay. We have this song about we, we know that Abraham's the father of faith. 
the very first time he's walking, he starts going to Egypt, and he's afraid of the king. And so he says that his wife is his sister. Which, again, this is conjecture, but that's, to me, feeling a little bit separate. Again, marriage there. It's, it's saying, well, Abraham's about, this guy, this is for me, so God, i got to protect myself. Here's a guy that walks faithfully into the unknown with God, and then in a moment has a fear of a king. Even though God promises was, anyone who's against you, I will destroy. Anyone who's for you, I will rave. I will bless. Like, that's the promise that Abraham walks out of his land with. And he comes into the, the, the land of Egypt, and he's like, ooh, the king, ooh, scary. And so he puts... Sarah, say you're my sister so that I don't get, because you're, you're an attractive 90-year-old woman. Okay, so like, say you're my sister and so that, so that nothing happens to me. And God saves and protects. But I think the reason why most of us don't pray for the impossible is because we're afraid that God won't do it. And if God doesn't do it, what does that say about our God? I've prayed for him to restore this in my marriage and he doesn't do it. Well, God, are you real? That's, that's the question that we, we run from. That's what we're afraid of. I've asked, I've asked him faithfully and tirelessly to do something. It's been almost three years. Do you think Abraham or Sarah had that thought at year 10, 11, 9? Again, we don't, we don't see it in here, but I can't help but them thinking like laying in bed going, now, did we hear the angel right? Like, I mean, this, this, like, it just doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense then, but we're not getting any younger. And so often we assume that God is not capable of doing the impossible because we're constrained by looking through our eyes instead of the eyes of faith that he has given us. We're afraid to ask him to do something miraculous. We're afraid to ask him to free us from the addiction because if he doesn't, am I not really following him? We ask all these grand questions. I don't, I don't think the doubt is the issue. I, I'm telling you, I wish, like, we, we have Abraham and Sarah here. They don't really talk about their doubt, but we see doubt other places in Scripture. Like, I don't think there's, there's anything wrong with wrestling. Read any psalm of David. And yet we don't believe God can do the impossible. Some of you wrestle with this because you're like, well, I had a season where he was doing all sorts of impossible things, and it's just not happening anymore, so what did I do wrong? I don't know. What if you did nothing wrong? What if that season was all the Lord wanted to show you in that impossible? Is that enough? Is that enough from God? Or is he, is he, does he owe you more? See, what happens is as we walk with the Lord in this world, we, we deal with things. We start seeing things where we hear the professionals saying it's not possible. Doctors saying this is the way it's going to be. There's no way around it. And they're well-educated, well-trained, and their hearts, even their meaning is in, and their intent is, is on purpose. But it still limits God. And some of us, we want to see the impossible from God because we want to test him. God, if you're real, show me this. That's a position of pride, not of humility. And the scriptures tell us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Some of us just believe we're supposed to be angry for the rest of our lives. This is it. I'm just going to carry this. This pain that I've had in my life forever, this is just what I'm going to have to carry. I can't, I can't open up about it because if I do open up about it and he doesn't do anything, where does that put me in God? These are all positions based on circumstances and what we see. What Abraham and Sarah do for us is they show us a life of faithfulness, a life of mistakes, but a life of faithfulness that they don't even get the fruit of what they're promised. They don't get to experience it with their hands. Abraham doesn't get to touch the foundation of the promised land that he gets to have it. He's in a tent. He doesn't get to see descendants upon many. He just hopes that the three he has are going to be really fruitful. But is it enough? Is it enough for you or me to see a God do the miraculous and the fact that I'm a child of God? Is that enough? Or do you want more? And here's the thing. I think the problem is, is when I even say, do you want more? They're like, well, no, maybe I don't want more. I think you can. God is not a fickle or like constraining God where he's like, mm, I'm only going to do so much good. 
Like, that's it. You've had one dose of good. I don't want you to get spoiled, so I'm not going to do any more good for you. I think God is a gracious giver. I think the problem is we don't ask by faith. We ask by testing. We ask by doubt. We ask by fear. We don't ask by faith. In fact, I would say, if you were more willing to say, God, by faith, show me more of who you are, I think by faith you'd see more miracles than just one or two in your life. And it's not a mustering up the strength. It's a submitting to a God who is good. You know, I think a lot of times in life we assume that God, we take promises like God, like it's, it's, it's God's desire to prosper us. Well, does that mean in every circumstance? Like does, it, does it really mean in every circumstance, or does it mean just being a child of God is prosper enough? It, it may mean in your work, great. It may mean in your home, great. But I don't think we're supposed to apply it as a blanket like that. However, that being said, I think we need to more boldly ask God to do the miraculous. Why? Because here's why. In Abraham and Sarah, we see this. We see that at 75, Abraham's promised descendants, he walks out. He makes a foolish mistake on sending Sarah off as his sister. His wife, Sarah, makes a mistake, yet God does some goodness out of it. But, like, she tries to figure out a way to help God's purposes happen. Well, like, obviously I'm barren, so maybe I'll just use this channel, which is what a lot of us do. Well, I felt like the Lord told me that I was supposed to do this, so I'll just go ahead and start doing these things, and I'll help God along because he seems like maybe he's busy or he's, he's, you know, he's forgotten something. So I'm just going to, I'm going to help the God who created me, who knows everything, who is all powerful and can do everything. I'm going to help him figure out how to make my life a little bit better. And they make those steps along the way. And then what happens? And then what happens? They mess up. You and I mess up. Which is why I think another aspect of faith is repentance. Another big aspect of faith has to be repentance because we don't necessarily, again, we don't see it in Abraham's story, but at some point he had to repent of what he did and, and turn and follow the Lord. And at the end of the day, he walked in faith with the Lord through the end of his life. And I don't know about you, but that makes me feel a little bit better. Not that there's other broken people. It's nice to know that the, the father of faith had really faithless acts. That there's, there's a way in which we can experience and live out faith and still make mistakes, and I think that's through repentance. But we're too afraid to ask God to do something because we lack patience. Because if God doesn't do it in this time, then obviously it wasn't God. I, I know a lot of your stories. I know a lot of the difficulties that you wrestle with, from broken relationships to struggling physical ailments to, to, to the pride, to the, to the anger, to the addiction, to the... I see it over and over and over again. And, and, and as your pastor, let me just share a, a slight concern. My concern is that we're not risky enough with faith. My concern is that we aren't willing to ask God to just destroy the addiction in us. It makes no sense. I want this addiction gone, Lord. I'm done giving myself to it. Rid me of it and help me walk in a way that would be obedient to your word in this. Instead, we hold on to it. And we believe, well, we can just try. Or maybe we'll do this. We don't believe that God could literally rip that from us and take it away tomorrow. And here's why. Because if he doesn't, is he still good? If God doesn't take it tomorrow when I asked him, this is a bad thing, I don't want this anymore. God, take this. But if he doesn't, is he still good? The answer is, of course he's good. In fact, God doesn't know how to not be good. It's, it's literally his nature. It's not like he acts good. He just is good. He just is love. This is just a part of him. And so when we see God not move, could it potentially be that God's saying, no, I want to do 25 years with you before I show up on this promise? No, you know what? This promise isn't actually for you. It's for your children. So you won't get to touch this promise this moment. 
But don't worry, I'm doing a work for your children in this one. <laughs> we don't see, in fact, I, it's kind of frustrating how often in Scripture you see God move really slow comparatively to our lives. Really slow. We don't, we don't see much. We know that Enoch walks for tons of years with the Lord and then is taken to heaven. We know Noah spends years upon years building a boat in a completely dry area. God's promises are good. He's never not kept them. We want him to move faster. Answer this quicker. I got things to get done, Lord. I got places to be in this vapor of a life, in this existence that is only temporary. We have one role here in this temporary life, to bring glory to Christ in everything we do. That's it. So everything else we partake in is to funnel through that, is to operate through faith in that. So, so why wouldn't we ask God to do something impossible? Why wouldn't we say, God, I want to see you in this situation. I'm, I'm tired of dealing with this pain. Help me move in this. And why wouldn't we believe and ask in faith? What are we afraid of? Look, here, here's the thing. I can, I can pretty much guarantee this or commit this. God's not scared of our doubts or fears. He's not out there going, oh, man, if I don't do this for Brenda today, he might doubt me more. How do I do this? He's a good father that says, I want to give great things to my son, to my child. But I will never give him great things if it's going to make him less like me. I'll never give him great things if it's going to take him away from the very thing I committed to him to being that I promised not only that I would start, but that I would complete and finish. God is going to keep his promises. So often we think that faith is, is, is us doing something. And I think as, as hard as this is I spent, I had the opportunity to teach a, a, a class a couple weeks ago or a few weeks ago about the nature and character of God. And we want to run to doing for God. I want to go do something for God. I want to do what I want to do, I want to do. And we forget who God is and who we're doing it for. And what ends up happening is in our situation is as we forget, he gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. You want to know why you have a faith crisis, a lack of faith? is because your God is too small in your own mind. He's not too small. Your faith crisis is you've made God smaller and smaller and smaller, and now you just don't know if he can come through. It's not even whether or not he wants to. It's not even whether or not he's, he's good enough to. It's like, I don't even know if he's capable of it. And I've been, I've been praying for three years. I've been, I've been pleading, and I've been doing, and I've been doing, and I've been doing. It's like, have you just rest in him as a child of God? Say, God, your timing's perfect. What if the very thing you want isn't what God wants for you? What if, here, run this, what if the very thing you want is exactly what God wants from you, but he's going to give it to you in his timing, which isn't acceptable sometimes to your own? Are you, are you willing to live a hundred years and never receive the promise that God said he was going to give you? Did God fail Abraham? No. We're an example of it. He kept his promise. But Abraham didn't get to touch it with his own fingers. And we, look, we want so badly to see it today. And I think God wants to show us it. I think that's what faith is. You know, there are two things the disciples ask for. Teach us to pray and give us more faith. Maybe we start there. Maybe we just start pleading with the Lord to give us more faith. What would it look like for you to risk faith? What would it look like for you to finally say, okay, I'm done trying to overthink this. I'm done trying to, to muster up my own strength to make this happen. I'm, I'm done trying to help God figure out how to make what he said he was going to happen in my life. And instead, I just submit myself fully to him, and I will live obediently to his word today and trust him for the future. That's what we see out of Abraham and Sarah, is that they had faith to rest in his promises, even though 
circumstances didn't necessarily give them the way? What would it look like for you to live a life of faith where you're just like, God, I don't care how it happens. One of the ways I can know that we want to, to try and see if God is big or not is anytime anything happens good in your life, we, we try to backtrail on how it happened. This is all the time. Something happens like a couple just got pregnant, right? They've been trying to get pregnant forever. The natural inclination is to be, well, so we started eating healthy, and then we started doing this, and we start seeing all these different things as opposed to just going, praise God, he brought us a child. Do you think Sarah at 91 was like, I am doing CrossFit, I'm getting this in place, like I got everything in place, I'm eating all whole foods, non-GMO, like I got this all figured out, everything is ripe so we can get ourselves a baby. No, she wasn't. I'm not saying we can't live obediently and walk, and, and, and there are definitely things that we could do to hinder things, but here's the, here's the crazy thing, you ready? If it's God's will, no matter how hard we try to hinder it, it's not going to stop it. It's not going to stop it. Nothing is impossible. You know, when Sarah laughs at God through the tent, like, uh, <laughs> kid, <laughs> why is Sarah laughing, right? She lies. I'm not laughing. I didn't do that. Okay, there's all sorts of problems. That. Again, Abraham does the same thing, so this is not a Sarah-Abraham thing. They both messed up there, okay? You know what the angel says to, to Sarah? The Lord says to him, is anything impossible with God? Like, like, really? Like, do you, think there's, do you think there's something that God can't do? And I think on, on paper, and maybe in our heart, most of us that believe, believe in God would sit here to say, well, of course nothing's impossible with God. But then when we pray, it's like, God, if you can do this, I mean, well, okay, you can, but like if you desire, and if you don't, it's cool. And we, we give God all sorts of outs instead of asking in faith and boldness, saying, God, this is the desire of my heart. I want to see you move here. I have faith that you will. And when it happens, I'll give you complete glory. What if we just submitted ourselves to that? What if we just gave ourselves entirely to the Lord in complete faith? I mean risky faith, the kind of faith that makes no sense to the world around you. The kind of faith you're like, you know what, I'm done. I'm done trying to make this work in my own way. And instead, Lord, I want you to do it in the impossible so that I can't take any glory for it. Time and time and time again, we see the Lord do that. In Scripture, we see it over and over and over again. Okay, walk around this place and just blow trumpets, and I'll, I'll make it fall. No, that's too many people. Too many people. Too many people. You guys will take credit. You guys will take credit. You guys will take credit. How many times do we see the Lord move? He says, no, no, no. I'm sorry, and I, I don't want to pick on anyone necessarily, but this book isn't about you. It's about God and his glory in Christ, and he loves you. He loves you, and you're a part of this story, and he invites you to do his work and his kingdom work by faith, but it's not about you at the end of the day. It's about Christ and God and his goodness, and if we take him out of this and we make this about us, God gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and so then when we go to ask in faith, our faith is so small that we don't even believe God can do it. It isn't impossible for God to forgive a murderer or a rapist. It isn't impossible for God to restore your marriage. It isn't impossible for uh, God to bring good things out of the most horrific situations. It's not impossible for him to completely heal you of your addictions. It's not impossible for you to restore relationships. It's not impossible for him to humble you. You realize that, like, he can humble you. It's, it isn't impossible for God to, to, to heal whatever physical ailments you're wrestling with that makes no sense to doctors. It's not impossible. It isn't impossible for God to save you or someone who you stopped praying for to be saved. I don't care how far they are, how far gone they are. When I was at my 20-year high school reunion, and, um, <clears throat> and I saw a lot of people I spent a lot of time with not following the Lord. And I saw some of the people saying the same, playing the same cycles, like, man, it's been 25 years of you doing the same thing. And I'll, I'll admit, I walked away going, there just seems to be like there's no hope for them. That makes God 
so small, so puny. Because I'm like, God, obviously I can't see you do it, so how could it ever happen? Because I'm like you somehow. So small. It isn't impossible for God to free you from your sin. He's already done it through Christ, and there's a way in which you can walk in that freedom, and you don't have to wallow in the mud anymore. Do you believe that? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Do you believe that God can do the impossible? Even if that impossible thing that he does is for your children to see and you never get to see it, are you okay with that? God is capable of doing anything. In fact, when Sarah laughs at him, the name Isaac means son of laughter. It's laughter like, oh, this can be crazy. People are going to laugh all the time like two old, old people with this baby. No, no, we're not the great-grandparents. That's our kid. How many situations in your life just bring laughter because there's no way you can take credit for it? I don't know about you, but I want to live a life where I'm laughing at how God works because I'm like, man, there's nothing that makes sense about this. I didn't do a single thing to orient and work and make, and I didn't do any back-end things, and I can't, when I try to trace back on how it happened, it just doesn't add up. Wouldn't it be great to live a life like that? It's yours in Christ. It's not impossible for us to live that way. It's not some pipe dream. So I think there's a few things we can do this week. One is I think we need to repent. I think a number of us need to confess that we have limited God. We have, we have limited God to our resources, to our finances, to our physical capabilities, to the, to the doctor system, to the government system. We've limited God all the way across the board because of the systems that are around us. And we believe that he can only work within those things. He will work within those things, but he also transcends those things. And he will work completely outside those things. And when we believe the lie that this is just the way it's going to be, it's always going to be like this. This person will never love you, Lord. They'll never come back. This person, this relationship will never be restored. Obviously, physically, this can never happen. When we do that, we basically say, God, you are just too small, which is just a complete lie. So some of you need to repent. You need to repent. You need to go, God, I have been not asking in faith because I've been afraid that if you don't do it, you're not real. And that's a complete lie from the enemy. Some of you need to repent and you say, God, I have, not been, I have not been submitting myself to your goodness because I don't believe you're good. Forgive me for that. Some of you have believed the lie that because your circumstances in your life is difficult that God isn't existent and he isn't around and that is a complete lie from the enemy. I can guarantee, I can guarantee this, my own conjecture, so maybe I shouldn't say guarantee, but I can really strongly bet this, okay? I bet there were a number of sleepless nights for Sarah and Abraham. What are you doing, God? You said this. We're just getting older. How, how does this make sense? And they rested in his promises and kept fighting through that. Some of you need to fight. Well, Jesus says he's a good father, and he gives graciously. So he says, ask, seek, and knock. You know what knock means? A closed door. So stop saying, well, God, closed the door. Maybe he wants you to keep rapping on that door with the confident faith that he will answer the door in his timing. And his timing is better than anything we can think of. His timing is better than anything we can pretend to do. So the first thing we need to do this week is we need to repent. The second thing I think we need to do, I think we need to start asking God for some impossible things. I think we need to start asking God, God, would you please bring this person to come to know you? I don't want them to hurt themselves. I don't want them to walk in darkness. I want them to be surrendered to you and your goodness. And stop faking it. Believe that he can do it. God, would you free me? from this anxiety. God, would you free me from this depression? Would you free me from this addiction? Ask boldly. Ask confidently to a God that is capable of doing absolutely anything. And then not just trust that he will do it, but trust that he will do it in his timing, and his timing is perfect, even if his timing is when you're gone. Say, oh, no, I'll free you from this, but you'll be with me in my kingdom. 
That's when you'll experience that freedom. Is that enough? I sure hope so. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing, but I want to challenge you guys. I want to encourage you guys. Some of you are, even when I say this, you're already running to excuses on trying to give God an out. And when I say, God, give God the impossible, you're like, yeah, you know what? We've been married just too long for this to really happen. Like, it's just, it just isn't, it isn't possible. No, nope, the numbers financially, just, they just don't make sense. So I don't, I, it's just not, not worth it. And some of you, would you stop asking God to do something so he can prove himself to you? He's already proven himself to you if you're his child. He said, I'm your, your, you get to call me child. You stand in the throne room of my kingdom and my, my throne with Jesus Christ tethering you there and him saying, I poured out my blood for that, that sin, that sin, that sin. And I choose to throw those sins as far as the east is from the west, which is pretty far in case you're wondering, okay? And then he, and then he says, now stand in my presence. And so you're saying, God, I want to see you do more. I want to see if you're real. You've made the stuff he gives more important than him, which is never the point. You've asked in pride. You think you have some, you know what, God, if you really, I'm big. And what you're doing is you're trying to get a small God that doesn't exist prove himself to you when God is like, I'm way too big to make myself that small. You're trying to define me through eyes that were given in flesh when you, you can only see me through the eyes through faith. Rest in my promises. And so some of you need to repent. Some of you need to start praying for the impossible. Some of you, maybe it's just silence. Maybe you just need to sit. Maybe you just need to pray for someone. Whatever it is, here's, here's what I'll tell you what faith wouldn't do. Faith wouldn't sit still and do nothing. We see that over and over again. Faith brings about an action, a stirring in us. And so that means you need to move more boldly and confidently. Stop letting the lies that don't fit the scriptures or don't fit the God whom we serve play out in our life. And give yourself that. God is in the business of doing impossible things. And even when it doesn't seem like he doesn't do it or when he doesn't come through in that situation, he's still doing something. His, his word shows us that he's still going to do it. He's going to complete the work either way. It may just be a different road that we take and all these different steps along the way. And he said, oh, no, that's great. You thought it was this way. You have your 10-year plan, but that doesn't fit my will. Sorry. I'm going to make it a 40-year plan, and we're going to go this way instead. Or you know what? Forget the 10-year plan. I'm going to do it today. I'm going to do it right now. And God is capable of doing all of that. And when he does it and how he does it, it always is a display of his goodness that he already is. And so if you're doubting, some of you, if you're doubting like I've asked, but I don't believe you'll answer this, I don't think that bothers God. Read a psalm of David. I think it's pretty good to wrestle with him. Any psalm that David wrote. I don't think there's anything wrong. God, I'm wrestling. I don't understand. I'm stirring. I think the problem is, is when you start assuming that he needs to answer you. Do you remember Job didn't sin in the whole situation? But what was God's answer to him? Hey, where were you when I? Where were you when I? When I? When I? When I? When I? When I? Job, it's great. These questions you ask are great. But you have no understanding of who I am. And how big I am comparatively to what you get. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us um, faith. Thank you for giving us people like Abraham and Sarah. Lord, thank you for uh, showing us what it looks like to live for you. God, I pray. Lord, I pray. I pray that you would give us a heart for the impossible. God, for the people that don't know you, our sisters, our brothers, our family members, our friends, our coworkers, God, would you give us this, this hunger to see them to come and know you? Would you give us the, the audacity to start praying for them every single day to know you? God, would we plead with you for that? God, would we ask in faith so we can see you respond in faith?
God, would you continue to keep in our minds not just the promises of what you say in Scripture to be true, but your promises of what is coming for us. God, may we live with a perspective that is less focused on the here and now and the circumstances and more focused on your goodness and your faith and your, your glory and your glory alone. Father, forgive us for the ways that we doubt. Forgive us for the times that we don't ask because we're ashamed or fearful. God, thank you for showing me the miraculous just in me being a child of you. Father, I just pray that we would be a people that risk faith, knowing that it's not, there's really no risk in it because it's in you. There's no going wrong in following and living for you. Even if that means our entire life and existence and this vapor of an existence falls apart, it still wasn't wrong if it's in you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat for a moment. This is Amanda, and the Lord has been showing her some things, and so he's asked her to share that with us. So this week, you know, as we've been, like, reading through Hebrews 11 and talking about all these, you know, fathers of faith that have gone before us, people of faith who've gone before us, and they were looking forward to the promise of salvation. They were looking forward to the promised land, whatever like the promise is in in God. And I said, God, what is that? Like, what does it really mean to wait on you? And I think, um, you know, in my own life, a lot of times that's about me. And it's about waiting on things that um, that we, we are hoping for. But um, the the Lord reminded me of Luke 2, where Simeon um, was waiting in the temple, and for his whole life, you know, he was waiting to see the salvation of the Lord, and then when Jesus, like, was brought into the temple, and he said, my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord, and so we are really, all of us are waiting. We are all waiting. Whether you feel like that in your life for something specific or not, we have already seen the salvation of God in Jesus, and we are waiting to see more, to see his kingdom come more, and to see more salvation um, in the redemption of our lives and the lives of people around us, and ultimately, like, his kingdom coming. And um, so, yeah, we are all in this place of waiting and looking forward, but we have already seen Jesus. And so I just, yeah, as we go forward as a church to what our what our hearts be consumed with seeing Jesus and the salvation of God coming in and through our lives. So. Amen. Amen. You know, it's funny. I uh as Bren was talking, I was like, man, Lord, like I look, well, I see my own life. I mean, who doesn't, right? When you start hearing a sermon and hopefully you're submitted to the Lord, you start to think about what he's doing in your own life and I kept thinking, and even just kind of what Amanda was saying about waiting. Marissa and I have been married for eight years on August 12th, um, which is great, but it is good. Yeah, it's wonderful, actually. But, you know, we had, like, the first four years where we were like, oh, I don't know if we want to have a baby yet, and it was like, maybe it's not the right time or whatever. And then, uh, you know, almost five years ago, we started praying, okay, Lord, like, you know, I finally make X amount of dollars a month. Great. That's wonderful. And then, so it's like, okay, Lord, you know. We'd be, we'd be excited, Lord. We, we're going to pray for you to bring a baby to us. And then um, four years went by and, uh, and no baby, right? And uh, we didn't stop praying, right? We're so hopeful. And Lord, like any time, like you want to bring a baby to us, anytime. We're so hopeful. 
Anytime, Lord, we're just right here. We're ready. Life changes. Okay, maybe we're not going to have a baby. And uh, I think for me, I stopped praying for it. And uh, right about the time I stopped praying for it, the Lord answered that prayer. And so Royce is due on the 17th of August. <laughs> but I keep thinking, like, what does that mean for my community? Now, I look, I look at each one of us and I think, how many times were you hopeful in prayer? but not faithful. How many times did you come to God and you were so hopeful? There was anticipation and there was excitement in it and you were like, God, I want you to answer this prayer and you were so hopeful and you prayed, you prayed and you prayed for about a week. Ah, but what if faith and not hope is when the Lord meets us and he answers a prayer? What if he does what he wants because he knows that his goal for us is that the faithful would see him do things that are absolutely mind-blowing? And I believe that the picture I kept getting in my head was that I believe there are a lot of people in here who have walked a walk, trying to be faithful to the Lord in obedience. There's something that you've been praying for, something you've been thinking about, something you've been hopeful for, and you've done all the things that your community has told you is a good idea to do, right? Like you've studied the right books and you've, you've gone to the right classes maybe or whatever, and you've done all of these things, right? And you've kind of come to the end of the road of what people say you should study, Right? You've prayed for it a little bit, but there's a part of you that forgot how good God just is as a father, as a giver, that you are not primarily givers to God. You are primarily receivers from God, that God is giving to us as a good father every good thing. The question I have for you today, and I feel like there's people in this room right now, is you've stopped praying for something. You, you have stopped praying for something that the Lord is not ready not to answer. Some of you in here right now, you literally today maybe even stop praying for something. I'm sorry, not angry, I promise. <laughs> but you have, and you know it, and you thought about it for a second when Bren was talking about the impossible, right? You're like, that feels impossible for me. If you have stopped praying for something that you believed at one time, that you were hopeful in, that you believed the Lord for, that you know is a good thing, I'm going to ask you to do something bold today. If you have come to the end of a line, if you've studied enough, if you've saved enough, if you've prayed enough, or whatever it is that you think is enough, if you've come to the end of a place and you're literally tired, if you have stopped praying for something, I want this to be the day where the body joins you in prayer for that thing, where you stop seeing yourself as alone and you start seeing the God who can do the impossible again. Or that anticipation that filled you when you first came to know him, that excitement of what could life be like with God now. I want you to understand that as his child, this is never boring, and the timing is perfect. So I, I do believe that God today, that there are, I, I believe that there are people in here who've stopped praying for something. And if you're someone who stopped praying for something, in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand in boldness. I'm gonna ask you to risk something so that the people around you can come alongside of you and pray for you and pray with you and be in it with you. And if the Lord is not bringing something to mind for you, then maybe you're someone who's supposed to pray for someone else. But if you're someone in this room today who knows that you've stopped praying for something, I want you to stand up now. I want you to stand up and I want the rest of the body to come around that person, those people, I want you to get up and I want you to come around those people and I want you to begin to pray in faith. I want you to pray in faith, not in hope. The church is hopeful. 
But first and foremost, the church is faithful to a God who is massive and can do anything and has. So get up out of your chair and go and pray for people. However that looks, you come alongside your brothers and sisters in the Lord and you pray with them. Not because this is something that we do out of obligation, but because by faith we come to God and we say, God, we know you can do anything. Will you do this? Will you do this? And you know what's crazy? Sometimes, sometimes when you give up that thing, that thing that you've been praying for, that you stopped praying for, sometimes the Lord opens the womb. Sometimes the Lord heals the sickness. Sometimes the Lord takes away the addiction. Sometimes the Lord meets you in that place and you see that God literally is doing something that you've never even been able to see before. 